Welcome to Music Business Mindset, a podcast where we're all about helping you grow both personally and professionally as an artist. My name is David Ryan Olson. I am from Evergreen Records, where we're all about helping artists like you grow. So that's why we do things like this podcast. If you've been following the show for a while, you may have noticed that we have a new name. We used to have this podcast be called Behind the Band, but we wanted to update that now that we're 20-some episodes in because we feel like the true value that the show brings is helping people get in the right mindset for success in the music industry, not just being able to hear from other cool artists. We're going to keep doing that on a weekly basis, but... We think music business mindset communicates what is the true value of this podcast. And plus, it lays the foundation for a couple other cool things that you'll be seeing on this feed in the future. So with that out of the way, I'm super glad you're here. We're catching up with my good buddy, Jake Rye. He is a fantastic indie rock producer from Michigan, but before that, he was on the road in bands. He was in the band Sanctus Real for a while, doing some professional songwriting in Nashville, doing some production in Nashville as well before really going out on his own. I really admire this guy because he has a huge heart for the artists that he works with. He doesn't want to be just the typical engineer, press record, you're done. He invests in his artists, and he is the true definition of a go-giver in the music industry, I think. So we're going to hear his story, some of the stories of artists he has helped mentor. So without further ado, let's just go ahead and jump into the conversation today with Jake Rye. Jake Rye, how are you doing, man? Doing great, dude. How are you? I'm hanging in there. We have been hit with an unexpected heat wave here in Oregon. It's never been mid-80s in April ever i don't think maybe yeah that's uh that's too soon yeah hashtag too soon hashtag too soon (laughs) (laughs) but dude super glad that you're joining us here today would love just to jump in and get to know you a little bit why don't you go ahead and just share your story oh sure man currently i'm producing and mixing i'm based just south of detroit michigan about an hour i've been doing this full-time since 2008 and i also have done a few other things with songwriting and i was in a in a band from 2013 to 2017-ish in there and toured all over the U.S. and a few countries too. So that's kind of the the outline for you there. Yeah. Why don't you uh, share a little bit about how you got started in the music industry? Oh, yeah. I started writing songs when I was pretty young, like 16. I feel like everyone that learned, you learn a guitar, it's like, cool, guitar is good. It's the right songs. Ended up, you know, in different bands. And then I had one band that kind of had some success uh, early on, ended up with uh, some record label options, had a single at radio that went to number one. uh, And we got some management and started doing that. And that's kind of, yeah, I think I'd have been 22, 21 when that kind of started happening, was touring all over. And then um, that kind of fell apart after there were some vision issues, people not not lining up. And we kind of amicably split and we split up all the money that we had, sold our bus, sold our lights, PA, all that. And then um, I was like, I think I want to record stuff. So I used that money to start getting equipment, which back in 2006-ish was when I started learning stuff. And it was a little bit harder to get equipment than now, but there was no financing through Sweetwater for 0% interest. It was <laughs> it was a guitar center and you buy you buy the crappy inbox interface for way too much money thousand dollars <laughs> for an inbox yeah it was it was different but uh that's about when i started and ended up trying to do solo music for a while i worked with a producer named alan salmon 
to do a couple songs and that got me some meetings with Capitol Records, which then was called EMI in Nashville. Had a songwriter deal offered to me. It wasn't very good because I wasn't very valuable uh, at that point, but they liked what I was doing. And the guy that was doing A&R there at the time told me, his name is Matt Ewald. He said, hey, dude, really like your demos. You should just be a producer. And I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I came home and, and took started taking projects. And I was working out of a local studio here that was really nice, really nice studio. Uh, and they went out of business not long after. So I had to, to come up with a solution. And I ended up moving into a rental space in a different city called Tecumseh, Michigan. And I was working out of essentially like a garage apartment situation while renting the house and living in the house. And I did that for three years before some some kind of cool stuff happened. And I ended up buying a big house and building out the current studio that I have that's separate from the house. But yeah, uh, that was kind of that story. I mean, it was just it's just kind of a start pulling on one thread and it leads to another thread and you keep pulling on that one. And and I'm still doing it, still pulling on threads, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great mindset to have for the music industry. Some people know exactly what they want to do. They know what they're born to do. But it's okay to kind of go into something, do things for a little bit, figure out what you like about it, learn some stuff, and then be okay with moving on to the next season of your life. Yeah, I think open-handedness is good. It's easy to be an, an artist and say, this is, all I can, this is all I want to do. I'm going to do this or I'm going to die. Like there, I mean, how many people have you met that that's kind of their philosophy? And it's like, well, yes, maybe you'll do music, but maybe the way you start off wanting to do it, maybe you'll change your mind. Maybe something else will open up another door and you might decide that that's a better option. I mean, open handedness is kind of the, kind of the way to find your way, I guess, versus just squeezing the, squeezing the life out of something just because you want, you think you want it, you know? Well, totally. And like you, you talk about having these, these deals offered to you and, you know, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a big break or, or whatever. However, people kind of idealize the music industry. Can you talk a little bit more about why you didn't pursue some of those quote unquote great opportunities or big breaks? That one, specifically the singer songwriter thing was like, hey, we need you to move to Nashville. We're going to pay you $900 a month. You're gonna, we're going to own all your publishing and you need to get at least 11 cuts a year. You need to write 50 songs, get them demoed, pay for them yourself. And by the way, you're not allowed to work full-time anywhere else. You can work part-time, but you're not allowed to work a full-time job. And my wife was in grad school at the time and like her dream was that and my dream was music. And like I felt like I was ready to earn money now, not be somebody's like uh, like song maker and then have somebody kind of like reap the benefits if something hit. Because in that situation, you know, catalogs are, you know how that works. You know, you get, you're trying to build as many songs as possible until you get a single, someone cuts it, and that's when you start to break. And it's, they're taking the risk to help you give you the time, essentially by paying for it, so that you can, um, you know, make enough songs to earn some money. And then at that point, that's when your true deal starts, is, you know, after you're cut. They're like, let's resign, let's renegotiate. Um, for me, it was like, nah, I just want to get paid to make make music, you know, make records. And I want to like start building community that way. Um, and there was already some of that happening back here. And I was like, you know, I think I'll go back there and start helping people. And that for me was a better fit for my personality. Um, later on, there'd be some other publishing stuff and sync stuff. And some of that I took and some of it I didn't. It's just a conversation of like, you know, 
what is is there an alignment on vision like do they see that see if you're do they think you're valuable enough obviously the amount of money someone offers you up front um sometimes that's an opportunity for them to get you on the back and you lose on the back or you win on the front sometimes it's they just don't really think you're that valuable but they're going to take a small risk um and that's you're seeing a lot more of that happening right now you're seeing a lot more single song deals and different things it's just kind of trying to be smart and wise and determine what what the right thing for you is versus being thirsty. Yeah. Can you talk about a little bit of that balance between investing in like, you know, the long term versus like, okay, the, the practicality of like, okay, you need to make some money. Because oftentimes in the music industry, I'll see artists, maybe they've, they've started to get established around town or whatever. And they're, they're kind of at this point where it's like, well, how much do I try to like, you know, get quote unquote, what I'm worth, or, you know, do I just do things for free or, you know, take a a less good deal because it's a foot in the door or whatever. What's been kind of that guiding principle for you in terms of striking the balance of practicality versus long-term investment? I think like having some kind of vision where you want to end up, like if your vision is, there's an artist that signed a deal with Triple Crown Records that um, I was kind of given some advice to and her manager and they were asking me about it. And I just said, if you sign this deal now, you'll get to do music now. But in three years, this could be really bad for you because potentially you might not get to where you want to go. What she said to me was interesting. She just said, I'm, I'm a college student. I want someone to pay for me to do music so I can do it well, but I don't necessarily want to be a musician the rest of my life. This is my time. So her vision ended five, six years out. And to be truthful, if you look at, I'm not going to tell you who this is, but if you look at her, you could find her easily. She's toured with some pretty big bands. She had a like kind of one out really bright. Things start off really bright. Things have kind of darkened. Now she's kind of in a place where she's getting married and she's kind of just putting music on the shelf a little bit. She's still kind of releasing music, but she's just not real excited about it anymore. And you can actually see that in her band too. They're just, you know, she's losing interest. They're losing interest. And she's not even probably going to finish her. I mean, I don't want to say that she's not, but she there's a chance she won't finish her deal even. You know what I mean? So like for someone like me, I think far enough out, like, okay, how long can I do this for? Because I love it. This is what I want to do for as long as possible. What are some decisions I can make? Like that deal, maybe she could have waited a little longer, built a bigger audience because she was already doing it. She could have recorded, fronted the money and released singles instead of releasing a record, slowly built her audience via Spotify playlisting, slowly started to play local shows, get big enough to sell enough tickets that she's that she gets the interest of other venues, put the work in on that end for two years, and then maybe sign a deal that would have put her in a place with like an option to be upstream to a major label even. So, you know, Triple Crown's a pretty cool label. They're run by a really neat group of people, but it's a very small label in comparison to say like RCA. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're they're not a major. I mean, bands are signed to there. Like from Indian Lakes is on there. There's a bunch of these like really indie darling bands that are on there. But like, they're a label that kind of helps you get your career kind of going. Um, and they kind of, they're good at helping people that don't know how to do that on their own. But if you were willing to put the work in, then all of a sudden, you know, you're starting to build your own fan base. You're building your own business that's valuable enough for someone to come alongside and say, "We want to inject cash into this, get you connected with some people." And all of a sudden, the PR machines work, and the ra- you're on, you're doing AAA radio or whatever, and things are starting to build. And then you know, at that point, you have success on AAA. Well, okay, we charted top ten here. We're ready to go do regular alt rock radio. You know, what I mean, you know, so it's 
the whole conversation of how the money's invested and in, in that is a whole nother thing. But I think if you're an artist right now that's in, in a super big hurry to be famous as fast as possible, good luck with that. But if you want to like connect with people and you want to sell tickets and you want to build an audience and do what it takes to do that, you have a good shot at going further than maybe somebody that's just like, I want to be famous now. Because even Billie Eilish wasn't famous now. <laughs> they built her up for years, you know, and you look at Bieber was the same way, you know, that was a very, it was baby steps. They had to build something that had a strong foundation in order for it to withstand the weight of 10 million listeners, you know, or even bigger than that, you know? So they did this Taylor Swift too. You look at Taylor Swift's career, like what we see as fame is, you know, it might seem like a big thing right away, but really it's small compared to people don't really know how, like how far away, like the difference between a band, like even, um, the 1975, when they came out in 2015 and 16-ish, like the difference between where they were and where the Foo Fighters are. People are like, oh, the 1975, they're the thing. They're the new thing. They're the rock band. And it's like, they saved rock and roll. Dave Grohl's like, ah, still here. You know what I mean? Like still selling out Wembley Arena. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the difference between him versus them at that point in time, you know, people don't, they don't know the difference, like the gap. They just see famous band. Oh, they're, they're in front of me. So they must be a big band. You know what I mean? Let's go check them out. So anyways, I'm rambling now at this point. Shut me down. <laughs> no, that's great. That's great. There is something interesting in there that you touched on where this artist that didn't want to launch a 40-year career, she said, I want this to be five, whatever, maybe a decade while I'm young. But then like, I don't want this to be the entire life thing. And I... I I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's also totally okay. And it's important to be honest with yourself about like, what do you want to get yourself into for a couple of different reasons? Like, I mean, being honest with yourself is always good, not deluding yourself of just like, well, I want to be famous, but then also it really helps you define what success is and what your goals are so that you can actually work towards that and have that be a framework for making decisions. Right. I think your value system, knowing yourself, knowing your values is the one thing that can keep you on the right path versus if you don't know them, even if you don't know what your values are, you still have them, right? So they're going to drag you around by the neck. I mean, you're literally going to end up where your values take you, whether you know what they are or not. So if you're fighting against your nature by making certain decisions, you're going to end up right back where your values take you. So I always preach that to people like knowing sitting down and writing them out. What, what do I value? What's most important to me? What I want this to be? Not what do I, ideally, what could this be? Not fantasy land, but like what, what realistically can this be for me? Do I, do I believe that it's possible? You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. Do you mind sharing what those are for you? Well, I'm, you know, I'm a family man now. So like for me, stability is really important for my son. So we're not moving around all over the place. We're, and like part of stability is earning a regular income and not having dips and dives in that as well. Um, having a, a nice environment for him that's safe, like a nice home that's, you know, he can call home. And that sense of home, I think, is insanely important to kids. Having a good school, a good support system, community, all those things. So for me right now, those values are important. But I also like kind of bring that to the studio. Um, in a lot of ways, because I'm trying to provide that same kind of stability for the artists that I'm working with when they come here. I want this to, f I want them to be confident in what we're doing. I want them to know that they're being cared for and taken care of. So like there's an alignment there to a certain degree. 
I think from a career standpoint, my value right now is how do I continue to do this at a high level and grow until my ears don't work? Like I never want to stop growing. I told my wife that when I'm older, don't let me retire. (laughs) I've got about 20 years left before that hits, you know, like, okay, don't let me stop doing this even if I'm terrible at it. Like if it means I'm just helping people, that's all I need. And I'm not actually doing audio at that point. Fine. But I mean, you guys, you look at guys like Mark Needham, who's easily in his 60s, still doing radio records. I know for a fact, you know, that like when you hit 50 something, your your hearing changes, you know what I mean? But like he's working through it and he's got people helping him and supporting him to do that because his way of hearing music is is broadly liked by a lot of people. So he's able to mix. Well, Ted Jensen, like the mastering engineer, <laughs> is how old? Him and Bob. Yeah. I don't know. Ted's in his 60s. I've had him master a few things, isn't he? Is he in his 60s? Well, let me look it up real quick. Google that thing. Google that. Joe Rogan style here. Just going to use the internet and look up stuff. Oh, I guess Ted's only 66. I'm sorry. Yeah. He did Hotel California, I think. So, like, I just assumed he was older. <laughs> yeah. He Well, Sterling Sound is his baby, man. They just moved that whole thing to Nashville. He's still growing. He moved it to Nashville. You know, I mean, he wanted it to be a more profitable business, and he saw that country music was was his number one client. So he said, I'm going to move my business there, you know? I think that that's pretty, that's growth, man. That's smarts, good smarts. And I think um, for me too, it's kind of like just being aware of what, what I'm good at. And then if there's some things that I would like to get better at, putting the time in to do that too, you know? I'm learning a lot more about like pop arranging right now, the way pop music is right now not the way it was 10 years ago. I'm spending a lot of time getting more into, you know, electronic as well, because like, I love doing rock records. I'm going to be good at it. But there's so many good tools in that way of working that would help me make better rock records too. You know what I mean? So always trying to find time to take a course here or there or like get on and read about things. And, but yeah, man, I guess, so my overarching value, obviously I explained it. It's surrounding my family right now. Like, but when it comes to the studio side of things, I think, Helping people be successful would be the top value that I have. So me doing what it takes for them, the best I can to do that. And that means making the recordings for them and help and with them, encouraging them through the process, and then also trying to launch them in a direction or give them enough advice or wisdom to help them do it in a way that's going to help them grow and not just kind of abandoning them. That takes a little more effort. It takes a little more time, a lot more time text messaging when I shouldn't be. And I always keep my phone off the dinner table, but sometimes it's by me. And I get in trouble, but you know what I mean? Like there's just a friction there and there always will be. And you just try to try to be more available to your family. Yeah. Well, I will say you are one of the most invested producers in their clients that I have ever come across, which, you know, helping artists succeed is really cool. (laughs) More than just like, okay, I, I I printed your mix pay me. (laughs) No, we'll get into that a little bit. I would love to hear before we do just kind of how that transition from being in bands on the road. If you want to share what band you were in before really committing full-time, I just want to hear about that transition into full-time studio. Yeah. I think initially the first go at it, which was at the first studio space, the transition was I was teaching music lessons. I was teaching guitar and bass lessons out of the studio part-time and that allowed me to compartmentalize into like six to 10 hours worth of work a week where I was making 25 bucks a half an hour. Okay. So that's a lot, that's a good chunk of money. And what I did was I kind of worked myself out of those. I got myself enough clients over time and built enough relationships 
through just making records and reaching out to people and going to shows and different things. I was able to work myself into a position just doing production and that would have been 2008. And then I borrowed a bunch of money, which don't do that. <laughs> borrowed like 40 grand from the bank. I went and got an actual business loan, did a whole presentation. It was kind of hilarious. Played CDs for people. Listen to this. I did this. Can you help me do more of it? You know, give me your money. And uh, yeah, so I ended up doing that to do the build out by the gear. A lot of the stuff I still have, it's just crazy. It's lasted for a long time and paid dividends. But from there, there were some big records that kind of came out of that. And one of them was um, I landed a gig working on the Newsboys Born Again record, which was the first record with Michael Tate. And it's a gold and a half at this point. I think it's like 750,000 copies sold. And I co-wrote a song on there and played bass on it and engineered a bunch of stuff and actually co-produced the song that's on there that I did with Seth Mosley and Juan Otero. Basically, I did like 14 demos and then they just bought the masters from me and then added stuff to it and I ended up flying out there. <laughs> but like that kind of stuff started happening and money came in from royalties from that, which was, I ended up with a lot of money coming in from that. And I, you know, my wife and I decided to buy a house. And so the studio thing kind of kept going and it was doing well. I mean, it was a good income from 2000 and probably 2010 till 2015 was like really good. And then right about that time, I was working with, a, I was already friends with these guys, but I was working specifically with a drummer from this band called Sanctus Real. Mark was coming in and doing session work for me. And he called me one night and said, hey man, um, Dan's leaving. We've talked before about you playing. Would you be interested basically in, uh, or do, well, first he said, do you know of any set, any bass players that would tour? And I said, well, I'd be interested. And he's like, well, you got your studio. Like he didn't think even I'd want to do it. And um I was like, well, yeah, I think I'd like to do a tour, you know, how long is it for? And he kind of gave me the, the gist of it. I said, how about I do a month of it? And if, and then we see if it's something that we all like, like me doing, you know? And so I ended up doing a month tour. I did like a really ridiculously stupid audition, like where I just played three songs at a practice. But like, I've been playing bass since I was nine. Bass is my instrument. At this point I had played on a thousand songs in the studio, you know, so it was like a real good fit. I was local. They're based out of Toledo. They still are. I think Dustin, the new singer Dustin's in Nashville now. He's a friend of mine from way back. But I ended up doing that. And I, and then when I was in, we were in Arizona at Grand Canyon University playing an arena show there. Um, they asked me to be part of the band. And I stayed on through the, uh, Matt, the original lead singer, Matt Hammett, was in the band for 20 years. But his son has heart disease. There was some pretty scary stuff that happened when we were on the road with his son needing to be in intensive care and some things. And it was kind of time for him to be done. He needed to be home, uh, be available. He didn't need to be in the middle of Canada getting a phone call that his son was dying. I mean, that's the blunt, honest truth. And we kind of all decided together that it was time for him to pursue that. And uh, so he stepped down. We brought in uh, my friend, Dustin Lolly, who's from Adrian, Michigan, where I live right now, originally. He was a worship pastor leader at a 242 church in Brighton, Michigan, which is a big, big campus there. Yeah. So all that to just answer Dave's question here at the end of that season, you know, I kind of, we had, we were pregnant with my son and I just didn't want to be gone. You know, I, I saw my friends struggle with how hard it was to be gone from their kids and how that affected the kids. And um, I just decided that I wasn't going to walk through that same struggle. It's not for everybody. So for some people it works for us. It just didn't feel right. And, um, we decided, I decided to step down. So from there, uh, my son was born and I'm walking into the studio 
same studio I'd been working out of, but not as much. I was doing some work for Seth Mosley and Full Circle Records for a while. I guess, is it, is it records? Just Full Circle, I guess. Full Circle Music. Yeah. So I was working with them before it was called Full Circle, and then they changed it. Him and Axel O'Connor, and I was doing editing and tracking and stuff. We did like Francesca Battistelli and stuff for a bunch of worship stuff um, for Bethel. And he asked me if I was moving to Nashville. And Seth did, and so did Matt, because they were moving too. And then Matt Hammett was getting in with them too. And I was like, no. And you know, he's like, we really want our guys to be here. He's like, I totally respect whatever you want to do. We love, we love what you're doing, but you know, it might not be a good fit long term. And I agreed because I was like, well, one, you know, I'm working on Christian music, which is great, but it's not my passion. I love rock and roll. I love alt rock. I love all pop. And then two, you know, I'm here. I need to figure out who my community here is. Like, who are the people here that I'm going to connect with? Like, there was a booming music scene here. There still is. Believe it or not, Detroit is actually doing really well. Grand Rapids, Michigan, a lot of bands are coming out of there. And, you know, here we are, like, I got no job at this point other than just a few clients. And I'm making a, you know, a very small amount of money doing, getting back into it again. And I just took the risk and we had some savings and I just said, all right, I'm making the jump. I'm going to give it a year and see how rock and roll goes. I got on my publishing deal with Capitol Records, so I was free to also do sync work. That and I partnered with another company out of Los Angeles to do some of that, and I just kind of worked and then met more people, helped them make records, um, made something kind of special with one of the guys, and things started happening with him. And then um, his friends started calling me, and then their friends started calling, and then over the past almost five years, it's been nonstop. So, um, and there's been a lot of really cool stories and successes for some of the artists and just really neat growth that's happened. And it's, and it's also opened doors for me and working in rock and roll, which is great. Some things that happened last year that were really good and it's still going. So I, I guess I don't have to stop. I can just keep going. Well, that's great that you were able to, to say, well, you know what? I love rock and roll. So that's what I'm going to do. Rock and roll is not dead, right? <laughs> no, it's definitely not. And especially independently, like. I don't care what the big music industry is pushing. They can push whatever the heck they want that sells ads and stuff. But there's there's something about alt-rock right now. It's one of the last genres you can really say what you want to say. No one's telling you. You can sing about the things you want to sing in. Um, hip-hop's kind of like that. But, I mean, really, mainstream hip-hop's not. You know, it's about selling ads. <laughs> so, sorry, guys. Uh, your favorite pop artist is selling ads. Congrats for radio. <laughs> That's what they're there for. That's what the top 40 is all about is selling Pepsi ads. So, it, it, you know, it is what it is. I'm not trying to slam those artists. They're chasing their dream too. And I'm sure there's a lot of goodness in that for them. But I think there's kind of this Wild West mentality and in indie rock and selling tickets at venues. And it's exciting. And like when you're building something new and fresh and people are getting excited about it, to me, that's it's just life-giving. And we've seen a lot of that happen. And it's 2020 smashed a lot of that i had a couple bands playing south by that were supposed to sign deals that didn't even even contacting some of the indie labels i spoke with one in brooklyn new york this past two weeks ago you know they're not signing anyone they've got contract fulfillments with their bands and they want to see that happen so there's a lot of bands with their hopes on pause right now i had one band lose a whole tour with the cold war kids and a management contract another band signed a deal with a pretty good label then the label went belly up like in may they went bankrupt. They just closed. They folded. And they lost their, They signed and lost a record deal all within a period of like four weeks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they're making a record still. We're in the middle of it. They're here tomorrow, and we're going to have the third song wrapped. We're doing a six-song EP, and they have a manager now that's going to be shopping it and trying to get on with a, with a booking agency that's legit. And they've got some good 
stuff there and potentially, you know, maybe another developmental contract, but they're kind of figuring it out on their own. They might not want to sign, you know, they're figuring out how to make money now. I guess all this is to say is if you love rock and roll, dude, just go ahead and make rock and roll. Just make rock and roll. <laughs> and if you sound, if your voice fits, that's the thing I always tell people, like their niche is whatever they sound like. So start singing. If you sound good with guitars and drums behind you, guess what? You're a rock and roll artist. Congrats. Now go do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's an easy way to figure it out. You're not trying to be something you aren't. Just open your mouth, sing, write lyrics. Oh, it's pretty angsty and pretty depressing. Cool. You're the next war on drugs. <laughs> go do that. So I don't know. It's, it's pretty, I love it. I mean, I hope I, I hope it continues. The, the scene change is changing a little bit. Detroit scene's changing back to a little bit more to hip hop and electronic again, but it kind of comes and goes based on who's there, who shows up and does the work, you know? So once, once clubs are open again, which they're opening right now, here, a lot of them are distance. They're selling three quarters of the tickets they normally would. Uh, rock and roll will be We'll be back and rolling. No one wants... No, okay, I better not say say what I was going to say, but <laughs> everyone wants to see a rock show. That's all I'm going to say. Even the bands that are pop bands, when you go see them, they're still a rock, they're a rock band live. You know what I mean? Like, how many times did you go see your favorite band and they, they come out and they're just like, guitars are loud and drums are loud and you know what I mean? Except for Ed Sheeran, he hates rock and roll, apparently. He just wants to play acoustic guitar <laughs> in an arena by himself with no band behind him, but that's cool. He can do that if he wants. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's like even even like Carly Rae Jepsen after her 2015 album Emotion had a dedicated power chord guitar player. Heck yeah, dude. A real real drum kit and everything. Yeah. It's fun. That's why people do it. Dopamine rush to the brain. So there's nothing like walking on on stage to a crowd of people. I we had a couple I don't know, there were probably three or four shows that there was over 100,000 people in front of the stage and you're just like what, is this real life? Those people are here for us? That's kind of wild. <laughs> I'm the bass player, so no one knows me, but it's cool. Uh, I'm here still. <laughs> I got asked to take pictures of the guys like early on. People just hand me a camera. Like I'm standing there, like I'm just there, like with them. Like, here, take a picture. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. I just don't say anything. The best part is you don't say anything. Yep. You do the picture and then later you walk on stage and you're like, hey guys. And then they find you later after the show at the merch table and they apologize to you a hundred times. <laughs> you're like, no, 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 don't, don't feel bad about it. Seriously. If, if I cared, I would have said something. It's just, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I miss that mentality. I miss my friend, seeing my friends, you know, when you're in a band with guys like that, you live on a bus together there's a bond that doesn't exist anywhere else unless you're like, I feel like that bond exists in the mil. if you're in the military and you're, you know what I mean? You have your, your platoon of guys it exists when you're in a band and you've got your crew. Um, it exists, you know, in a sports team, it's just a unique kind of chemistry. You know, obviously we're not as connected as we were. We still get lunch. I still get lunch with those guys, but they don't even have a bass player anymore. They run tracks or they hire, they'll hire just like dudes to fill in. So you're starting to pick up a little momentum in in your studio business after you've kind of gone full-time on that one of the artists that you really helped develop during that season was a was an artist named michigan which is actually how i discovered your work can you share a little bit about how that experience happened yeah so one of the things that i've really tried to be good at and is to trust my gut and when i see talent or somebody doing something to me that connects with me on a deep level i I engage it. And 
Jason Singer, who's uh, his project's called Michigander, which it's become a band. It's really still him, but his guys are close, um, and they're all very inv- invested. He was on tour with Mike Means. You know, you ever heard of Mike Means? Do you Mike Means in the Branches? He's on Tooth and Nail Records. He's a great dude, Michigan guy. He was on tour with him, and like I had been hearing about him, and then I went. He had this song called uh, the called Nineties that kind of went crazy on Spotify before, you know, years before they changed the algorithm and you couldn't do that anymore, but it like got a million views like in like three weeks. And he was a no-name artist. He had put out two songs. It just like took off, ended up on these big playlists, kind of ran wild. And so I was like, man, this song sounds kind of terrible. Like the recording was awful. Like we've joked about how we should have recut that song, but it's still running nuts. It's still getting crazy spins. And he's put out like three EPs since then. And I just was like, I'm going to call him. I don't know. Who, who do I know that knows him? So uh, one of the artists I've been working with producing, his name is Johnny Carroll, who had just caught, he just, he was a busker. He would go over to Scotland and England and play and do busking. And he was friends with, um, Johnny was friends with a lot of people. He still is. He's not really doing a whole lot of music anymore, but he was like, yeah, I'm going to, I'll get you connected. He's like, I'll connect you with Jason. So they did a house show together and he, Jason said, yeah, have him give me a call. And so I called Jason and he didn't answer the phone. And then he was kind of doing the the millennial, I guess he's a millennial or a Zoomer, I don't know. The millennial, like what we do, we, we look at the phone and we don't answer it. So I just left him a voicemail and I said, hey man, uh, I'm really, really, really just want to meet you. I was like, I'm not calling you to sell you anything. I just really love what you're doing and I want to, I just want to meet you. Like you, you live an hour away, it's, we get coffee with me or whatever. So eventually he called me back, we talked. And we kind of just hit it off. And I said, hey, come to the studio. I want to record a song. Just don't pay me anything. Let's just do a song. And if you like it and you want to put it out, we'll work out a price for it. I said, it won't be expensive. Whatever you want to do. And he kind of was tentative about it. He's, and he's like, let me, let me listen to some of your stuff. So I sent him over some stuff I'd been working on. He liked it. And then he figured out some of my connections with Christian music. I didn't really actually lead with that. And I had worked on a couple projects that he really liked. So he's like, well, let's get together. And so we did, we did Fears was the first song we did. And then I sent him the mix after we had worked on it a couple weeks later and he called me in tears and he just said, I've never thought I'd sound like this. And I was like, all right, well, I'm super happy for you, you know, that we were doing this. I really enjoyed it. And like, so we just kind of kept working together and we haven't stopped. We've done, I don't know, three EPs and a couple singles. The record that just came out is doing really well. The first song charted number four on that chart that it was on for radio at peaked at four. The one that's out better right now is the most added song on that chart. And that is going to be, hopefully radio team thinks number one, we've got to beat Kings of Leon and all these other huge bands to do that. (laughs) I don't know if it's possible. If it is, we'll be grateful for it. But um, the cool thing about him is that there's a lot of new things I can't talk about that are on the table um, that are going to make him, give him a bigger platform but like he was supposed to play a main stage at Lollapalooza last year during at 6 p.m you know like he was supposed to do all these big things his tour that he was with was with Mountain Joy and he was gonna do some stuff with Head and the Heart and he was supposed to open for Coldplay so 2020 was hard <laughs> to swallow for him he has the same booking agent as Coldplay the same actual agent so not agency, but the actual agent is his. And there's a lot of talk of interplay because there's they kind of work really well together on the same bill. So they could potentially end up opening him opening for them again if they ever tour in the States again. But, you know, it's just like been a really exciting seeing him. He takes it so well. He's I've never met anyone else like Jason. Like in any industry I've worked in, even in the artists, 
that I was working with that were bigger and touring with, his talent is different. It's not like, wow, that guy's talented. Like when I was on tour Sanctus, Danny Goki was out with us. Danny's an amazing singer. He didn't have all the stuff Jason's got. There's something else different about Jason. And Jason was going to be embarrassed if he hears this interview because I'm talking, I'm talking about him, but <laughs> he's generational talent wise. It's not like, wow, he's this amazing musician. He should be a jazz guy or like he's a virtuoso. He's What he is, is he's a communicator and he's self-disclosing and he's honest and he connects with people immediately. And the last artist that I saw do that, the way that Jason does it on stage was Bono. <laughs> so I don't know that Michigander will be you too. Probably no one ever will be again. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying there is a, there's a vulnerability in his, the way he is that people just connect to. And if you were here when in seeing some of the shows he's put on, like even the one, like the one he did um, in Chicago, that was a pretty big one. It's wild. It's just wild. He's like, just this big kind. You just want to hang out with him. He wants, you want to give him a hug. Like he's just that kind of guy. So he's got the stuff as it were like he's in, in the studio. Like you should see him one take his vocal. And you're like, what the heck dude do? I don't even need to tune it. And it's because you're allowed to be a little out of tune in rock and roll, right? Like you can be, you can really be honest in like the performance matters more on a level of emotion than on perfection of I'm a good singer. You know what I mean? So I don't know. I can't explain it. I can explain more about it, but like it's been a real blessing to befriend him and be in his life and help him where he needs help. And, and because of him and a lot of, um, there's been a lot of cool doors that have opened to you. And like, literally like if I could trace back probably two thirds of my current, you know, people I'm working with to that relationship, even I'm working with the glorious sons right now, who's this gigantic Canadian rock band. And it has to do with the connection that I made through another band that I met because of Jason. You know what I mean? And like, there's just all these different connections. It just spiders out. And it, it's kind of, a lot of guys will work with somebody and then they, when it's done, they close the door and then they're like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. And it's like, you just made something super important with that person. You should probably stay connected to them. They're probably, they'd probably be a good friend to have. Can't be everyone's best friend and you can't serve everyone the way that they might need it, but you can offer help and they appreciate it. You know what I mean? So anyways, I'm done. <laughs> but what's cool about that story is you got opportunities. I I, I don't want to make this, 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 I'm going to boil it down to be a little too transactional, but like you got these opportunities just because you saw some potential in a dude. It, it wasn't necessarily like a, Ooh, I'm going to, you know, exploit this dude early on and, you know, ride his coattails. But it was just like, no, I, you saw some potential in him and you invested into him and you formed an honest friendship and that paid dividends. Yeah, I, I think so. I think he saw, he saw it in me too. Like I would say with Jason, like, I don't know any other, any other artists that keep office hours that are up at five 30 in the morning, sending emails every single day, four hours a day. He's still doing it. He has four managers, a booking agent, and a record label, and he's still doing it. But now he's doing radio interviews, and now he's doing all this other stuff that they're having him do. He saw that intentionality, and I saw in him. It was it was it was a weird. It's just a weird phenomenon. But like, there's just a real connection, and I don't think that I thought, hey, I could we could really do something with this. It was more like, hey, I think there's an opportunity for us to make something really special together, something that means more than just like maybe. Hey, I wrote a song. Let's record it. Maybe, maybe a little more than that. And I think we both saw an opportunity to kind of unite on that front and do a song together. And like, yes, I get paid to do my job, but 
he gets paid to play shows and he needs music to do it. He's got to have a business card. He's got to have a tip of the spear for what he's putting out. And I do that very well. So let's, let's work together. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I guess that's the trade is that I do this well. He needs it. You know what I mean? And he does what he does well. And I need, I need to record good music. I don't want to work on bad music. Nobody does. You want to work on great music because it, you can connect with it and you can do better work if you're working on something you care about. Yeah, but well, that kind of gets to the essence of what business should be. I mean, there's there, you, you can say a lot about what business has become in, in the 21st century, but like business should be about, I have a thing, let's help each other. You need a thing, let's provide value for each other. And so I, th- I think it's cool that there was like this kind of symbiotic relationship going on between the two of you guys. Yeah, I think so. And it was... It's different than when you're working with a production house like on projects because there's a real connection. When you're work, when you're in, you're one of six engineers on a Newsboys record with a $280,000 budget, you're not talking to people in the band and you're not I mean like you don't they don't even play on their own records. I mean Michael Tate just sings over a track when it's done. Like there's it's not even real. Sorry guys. Sorry to burst your bubble. It's not like you're going in the studio with Green Day and everyone in the band's just bleeding over it. You know what I mean? That's that's rock and roll, man. And uh, <laughs> sorry, uh, <laughs> it's it's just a different thing, you know. And like, there are some jobs you're doing it for money. Like, I there's some music that I've done, custom music for a TV show that that's there's a Amazon Prime thing going on that when I'm doing the music for it, and I'm actually done now, so I'm not doing it anymore. We're done. We all the music's turned in, but like. That's a transaction job. I am good at this. They need it. Pay me money. I do it. Here. Do you have any problems? Is everything good? Do you need anything else? Nope. We're set. Cool. Sign off. Check. Thanks. We're done. Bye. Have fun with your show. I'll go over here. Start the next thing. There are those jobs, but I think what I set out to do is connect. Remember we talked about values earlier. That's a value. I want to connect with somebody when I'm working with their music, when we're in a room together and without, you know, having to feel, to be, feel free, like you joke with your buddies when you're staying out, you know, and you get that comfortable with somebody, you can make something real, you know, real important. And so you kind of like have to let your guard down a little bit. So let's talk a little bit about when you're working with artists, obviously a lot of helping navigate the music business because of things are kind of shifting to, you know, you're working with a producer in, in your home and labels aren't as important of a thing. When you're working with an independent artist, what are some of the things that you kind of help teach them in order to navigate the music industry better? One of the things we talk about is defining their niche. You and I both have heard a lot about defining your niche, right? From a certain other podcast of good dudes. It's important for them to figure out where they fit. And, and a lot of artists are like, no, I don't, I'm different. Well, yeah, you are. You're different like you're different. But at the end of the day, there's other different people that are doing similar sounding music to you. So how do you figure out how to get on, get your music in the same place that that music's in? So whether it be playlists, different things like that on Spotify. And then it helps you, once you know your niche, you kind of know how much music to put out. Like if you're doing hip hop, mixtapes are still a thing. You got to put out more music. If you're a rock band, you can put out a single or A side, B side where you're releasing two songs. So once you know that, then you can build a strategy around how to release it. And at that point, you're kind of, you're having conversations about how much time in between releases, what what media outlets to pursue, list of spreadsheets. All Like I do have a spreadsheet now that I've had for, I've just updated it when I was on vacation. And I have a, I have a friend who's a PR person who's who I've hired to help me rebuild some new con- industry service providers and contacts and stuff. But, you know, more or less like pointing them in a direction of contact these people 
you need this much content. You need to not go away. You need to be engaged with your social media. How much, should, how much, you know, like we haven't been on social media that much. How much should we actually really be on it? How much should we? And so putting together, having them kind of think about it right now, I'm, you know, I told you earlier before we were on the mic here that, you know, I've been working on a document to kind of help them just na- basically navigate. It's just like 10 points to a successful release kind of thing, but it's way more than 10 points. It's like a thousand, but we're going to narrow it down because <laughs> you know, you can't do that in 10 points, but more or less just helping them kind of giving them something to think about so they can create their own plan. You mind sharing some of that? Yeah. I mean, it's a draft <laughs> right now, so it's not even, it's not going to be finished for two months, but I'm meeting, I'm meeting on Wednesday actually in Detroit to um, go over it with my PR person and start to de- redevelop and hash out some of these better ideas. Yeah. I mean, I start off real, si- I make it real simple because a lot of times bands either haven't released music before they did before the recordings weren't good. They want to take it down and start over if they put made better recordings and they're going to rebrand or two, they just went away for a while. So they're kind of starting with a small audience. So we're focusing mainly on building an audience one listener at a time, which is the only way that sticks with you for a long time. Um, there's other ways to do it. You can pay for listen, all that junk. But like at the end of the day, connecting with one person is all you need to do. And you need to continue to do that a million times. So how do you do that? Well, you got to tell people about your music and you don't want to flood them with a record because if you don't have a listener, you don't have enough listeners, why the heck would you put out 10 songs? They don't know what to listen to. They need to be told what you want them to hear. So like pick a song, make sure it's a good song, get 10 people that you trust. This is just a basic like best 10 marketing principle. Seth, uh, Seth, um, what's his name? I almost said Seth Rogen. <laughs> the, Seth, the bald marketing guy. What's his name? You, you know what I'm talking about? Godin? Godin. Yeah. Best 10, which is Seth Rogen. He's just like, ha, 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 I could help you. <laughs> like, <laughs> yep, we're going we're gonna to need some marketing up in here. <laughs> Let me smoke something first. So anyways, uh, sorry, bad joke. So yeah, I mean, getting 10 people you trust to tell you the truth. Like, So make a demo, get in GarageBand, spend a little bit of time figuring it out. Make a really bad demo. Try to make it sound as good as you can. Suffer over it a little bit. Get it in front of 10 people. Get some feedback on it. What do these 10 people think? Take the feedback, put it back into the, into the demo, make it better, then find a producer. Find an engineer, find a producer, whatever it is, someone that can help you be a better version of yourself on the record. And something you can grow into. If you're not there yet, you'll grow into it. You're going to practice it. You're going to learn it. Bring someone in that's got a talent that you don't have and ask them to help you do it and come up with enough cash and invest the money in it. Because at the end of the day, you're... Music is, that's the tip of your spear, man. That's what, as of right now, it's still the most important content you make as an artist. TikTok's not there yet. They haven't figured out how to monetize it. So well enough to do anything. So let's, you know, your music is is key. So get that done. Once you have it, figure out how to tell people about it. Do the research. Spotify is still the best way to build an audience online without playing shows every night or everywhere. So how do you do that? Well, submit the playlists, get told no a thousand times. That's okay. Keep t- Keep submitting. Put out a song, do it again four months later. Do the same thing. It'll grow. It's kind of like, it's it's wild, but it's like giving anything else attention consistently will gain you an audience. And it's just like trying to build an Instagram following. If you go away, you don't post, people aren't going to interact with it. So I have an artist right now who's doing this. The project's called Augre. It's Augre is a town in Michigan, but it's uh, Josh Kemp. 
he was the front man of a band called Steps that had a very bright, glowing future, but they decided to, to part ways. That They have like at least one song with two million plays on it. They kind of parted ways. He went solo. We're working together on his releases, and he's doing this patiently. He's releasing content. He's engaging. He's getting playlists. And like I was just about to look at Spotify, actually, and look at the numbers here. But it's kind of crazy. You can look at his first single, and you can see people not engaging with it. Like the first single... Actually, no, it's up at 40,000, 40,000 plays now. He's on 26 playlists. The song we just did called it Home in the, Gar- Home in the Dark is doing okay. Not as good as Nervous did. Nervous is still kind of cruising on TikTok too. But like, that was the first song he put out has 40,000 plays on Spotify and it's real plays. He's up to 9,000 monthly listeners. Brand new artist. No one's ever heard of him. He's only had music out for six months, seven months. So like, all he's doing is just engaging it. He's being patient. He's not thirsty. He's not in a hurry. He knows what he's making is good. And he's just, he's being patient. And now shows are coming back. He's doing it so far a couple of weeks. He just, he just did a live, he's starting to do live streams. He's making alternate content. He's doing videos. He's doing, you know, and like with your Instagram, you don't have to make anything fancy. You just need to hop on there and do 30 seconds of music or talk about this or that or share your day or whatever. You just do it every day and then you keep your stories rolling. You don't ever let your stories go dark. You just keep them up. You know, you keep engaging conversation, ask people questions, be it, but you have to be genuine. You can't be fake. I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I know you're into this kind of stuff too, but like, I think genuine content is good. And with releasing music, you know, it's, you're just going to have to know that there's not going to be a lot of people there to hear you when you put your first music out. You just have to learn that you're going to lose that battle. Lose it in your heart before your music comes out so you don't quit and give up. Because <laughs> there's not going to be anyone there to listen. Sorry. Put it out anyways. Promote it. Put out another one. There'll be more people. There'll be more people. There'll be more people. And before you know it, you've got a decent listenership. You start playing shows. You're exciting live. Open two times a couple clubs. You sell 20, 30 tickets each night. The promoter gets. The promoter will bring you back and maybe eventually give your own headlining slot over the next gear you do the headlining show you sell 100 tickets cool now you're ready to move to a new market you know what i mean let's go open for somebody in columbus ohio let's go open for somebody in the neighboring town two hours away wherever it is and you start there and you just build it that's what jason did with michigander it took six years and he got to a point where he was selling out he sold out rough trade in brooklyn new york two nights in a row back to back which is a very popular indie venue there and when that happened he started getting the record label calls they're watching you. At some point, they start watching. And then he did South By, and that's when he signed with C3. He was talking to RCA. That was a big conversation, and that ended up not working out because a lot of them don't. And then the showcase at South By, and C3 sealed it. And But like that's what Augre is doing. That's what Leland Blue's been doing. They're, they're recovering from being dropped from their label because their label went bankrupt, so they're starting over. But they're a popular band in this region out here. They're expanding their market. There's a band called Stay Outside out of Indianapolis I work with. They're getting ready to put out some insane music. During COVID, they just went away. They kind of just disappeared. It was good for them to do that, believe it or not. I've had a lot of good conversations with, they've kind of refocused and um, they're ready to to launch it and kick its butt. You know, lots of good music videos. Garrett, their guitar player, is a very well-known music video producer. So he does a lot of good stuff. So he's doing that. But yeah, sorry, I'm rambling. Any, did I answer your question good or? Yeah, no, I just was wanting to get some general tips on on what artists can do to, to build good foundations. That wasn't like a document with bullet points. That's coming later. That's not on my website. I'm giving it only to my artists. So if you want it, you got you to gotta call me and we got to make a record. <laughs> just saying. Yeah. 
I'm trying to help my people. I can't help everybody. I just want to help my people. So if you're one of my people, I'll help you. You know what I mean? So eventually someday, maybe I'll put it out. But by then, maybe it'll be too dated to put out. I feel like the target's moving constantly. But there is one thing in there that I really like that you said. It's try to connect with one person and then try and connect with another person. And I think one unfortunate byproduct of of the social media age, Instagram and TikTok specifically, is it's become too much of a, I can't think of the expression, but like everyone's, everyone's chasing going viral or everyone's chasing like, I, I got to find the silver bullet that everybody loves when like in order to actually build a lasting career that doesn't just burn out right away, it's about building an actual foundation one person at a time. Everyone's a brick. Get one listener. When you go to a show, even if you get one solid fan, if you've done your job, they'll come out to your next show and they'll bring a friend with them. <laughs> you know, they absolutely will. And there's some that come to, they'll go to five in a row. I mean, like it's, it's crazy. When I was in Sanctus, we had, we had a family of people and like, God bless them. They toured with us for 12 shows, went to festivals we were at. Like, I didn't know how to feel about it. I was like, this, I don't know anyone else that does this. Like, this must be like their Disney World experience. I guess I should probably care a lot more about what I do <laughs> because they care a lot more about it than I do. I need to be, I need to be here if these people are here. You know what I mean? There's that pressure to like, wow, this means a lot to somebody. And I sometimes maybe don't take it seriously because I'm tired or maybe I need to like up my game here and like be present, lean into it more. And and like, yeah, absolutely. People will really connect with something and it sticks with them for a long time. And I think the only way to do that is to be super honest. Otherwise, it's just, you're just selling cheap toys at Dollar General. You know what I mean? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think for a lot of us musicians, we're kind of numb in some ways to the magic of music. I mean, like, obviously not because like, you know, we're still in it (laughs) and there's a reason why we're (laughs) devoting our lives and souls and everything to doing music. But like, you know, some people just like, they are totally wrapped up in the magic of music and they're fine with it being an illusion. It's their Disney world. Don't listen to your stupid friends from high school about like, oh, well, (laughs) you're doing music. No, people live for music. People love music. Just because your high school friends don't care about what you're doing doesn't mean that someone else that you come across after building up your fan base isn't just going to love what you're doing and connect with what you're doing. That's my rant. (laughs) That's a good rant. And to be truthful, it's changing so much. Like some of the music that some of my younger friends are listening to, I'm like, I'm like, show me what you got. Show me what you're into, you know? And I'm like, that's, that's what you're into right now. That's interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I don't want to judge them. It's not, it's not always for me. Like, but like, you'd be surprised. Like they're getting their food from TikTok. You know what I mean? Like they're getting fed from their playlists that they're making and or like the stuff they're discovering. And there's something to be said about chasing the thing that got you excited when you're 19. Like for me, I'm 40. And I'm still chasing that thing that I felt when I was 19 years old. And if I stop doing that, I need to quit. Because to me, that's what music is supposed to give you that kind of life and that kind of feeling. And, if, and, and so like one of the things I try to do is when I'm working on records, I try to find artists that I go on searches. Like I've got, I've got a, an internship opening up that I got to interview some different people for in May. Their job is going to be to find the people in the, the three niches I give them that I'm excited about. And like, I'm going to go through and I'm going to listen to all this music. And then I'm going to be reaching out only to the ones I'm really excited about because I want to be in it hundred percent. I want it myself in that project up to my neck in it, excited about it because that's, 
to me, like, this is why I love doing music and why, you know, and I feel like it's worth it. You know what I mean? It's worth putting the time in and trying to find, you know, scour the planet for the people that you want to connect with. And and so if I can find two or three artists out of a hundred that I'm really excited about, those are the ones I'm going to call. And if I land one to trust me enough to make a record, well, that's a success. That's awesome. I'm excited about that. So I'm fed from this. I mean, I'm not going to give you an illusion that I'm not. I'm fed in two ways. I get paid, obviously, but I'm fed in my soul. I listen to the music that I work on because I, and I'm just amazed that it even happened. I have playlists on Spotify. And it's like, I'll be driving. I'll be like, I can't believe we did this. This is so cool. You know what I mean? I don't know. I just, I got that, still have the childlike thing and I want to keep it. I don't want it to die. <laughs> I don't want to become too jaded. <laughs> well, and I, I think when you let yourself fully just embrace that childlike wonder of music and you're doing the music you love and you're just getting yourself excited, you're going to make better music when you're in that zone. And people are going to connect with that if they can hear you love what you're doing. Yes, they are. There's a believability to it. There's a whole bunch of just like psychology behind it. But like, we're looking for signs of, do we trust this? Do we not? All the time. And like, we're so bombarded media wise with our phones and everything. And like, a lot of times, what, what do we trust the most? The stuff that makes us laugh, right? I mean, gifts, memes. It's easy to trust that because all it does is make you laugh. It's cheap. It's fun. Move on. You know what I mean? I've seen some pretty interesting ones this year and I think everyone has. And But when it comes to something a little bit more, music kind of gives you a different kind of feeling and it goes a little deeper and right from the top. Like it hits you pretty hard sometimes. And like we're, we're wondering, do we trust what they're saying? You know what I mean? An artist friend of mine that I was, I was in Nashville with, he's a guitar player that was playing on this record I was just producing. And we were driving back and he put on a country artist that he really likes. Like he he doesn't like country, but he likes this artist. And I heard the first song and I immediately was like, ah, nah, I don't, his delivery is like, I just can't, I don't believe it. You know what I mean? Like, and it, like I, I said that to him and he got mad. He's like, come on, man, this is cool. So it's like, everyone's feels it differently. You know what I mean? So he was ticked because I want to change I want to change the song. He's like, no, just listen, just listen. It'll get you. It'll get you. It never got me. Uh, and that's okay. It got him. You know what I mean? So like, I know for me, like there's a certain genuineness to a vocal delivery or to the tone of a voice that I really connect to. And so I'm always trying to help my artists find that same thing. And a lot of times they're going to say, well, I want it more in tune. I'm like, we can do that. There's Melodyne. No, I want to sing it more in tune. But no, no, no. You feel this. You hear how this feels. Can you connect with how this feels? No, it's me. I don't, I don't really know. Okay. Well, I'm telling you, you trust me. If you want it more in tune, I'll Melodyne it. I'll, I'll raise it up like one cent. <laughs> or whatever it's off because half of them sing so well but like at the end of the day there's a there's a conversation there about you know retaining some of that honesty and I, taylor swift's on a journey to find that right now herself and i i've never loved her music i still really don't i mean i try i try to get into it but like she's i believe what she's saying i think she's really chasing honesty right now and i wish that was more part of culture in america at least with our music there's a lot of really good canadian bands that are doing that have you ever heard of Donovan Woods? Oh, yeah. I love Donovan Woods. Dude. That guy is a freaking genius. Yeah, he's he's incredible. Um, discovered him last year. But I mean, like, you find that stuff that connects with you. I connect with his music a lot. I, I thought I wasn't going to get back into singer-songwriter stuff. I really loved Damien Rice when I was younger. And I finally went and saw him. I saw him at Red Rocks in Colorado. And it was the worst concert I've ever been to. Hands down. He was drunk the whole time. And I was just like, ah. I, I literally was like, I'm done with singer-songwriters. 
I saw videos of Ed Sheeran playing by himself in an arena. I was like, what the heck? <laughs> Come on, dude. Get some people with you. Like, do something different, you know? Like, I know it might be different to be by himself, but, like, I don't know. Like, have you ever been to a DJ show? Have you ever seen DJs? Probably. It's like, uh, is there someone there? <laughs> Like there's music and lights. Is there a person up there? I don't know. It's not the DJ show though. It's not, it's not about the, the DJ. It's about the people, the crazy energy of the crowd. Right. I mean, it's a completely different kind of show, but like, so I'm judging it from a different perspective, but you know, it's that whole thing of, like I said, connecting with one person at a time, do the best you can to do that. You know, I feel like if you have something to say and it moves you, then you probably move someone else. So do it, do it in a way that's like, that will be heard. Do it right. Do it well. Put all everything you got into it and then put it out and share it. Be brave about it. Get behind it. Don't make excuses. Don't feel like you got to explain it or make excuses about it. Like, oh, well, if we would have done this this time. And like, no, dude, lean into what you did. You'll do better next time. You know what I mean? If you don't like it in three years, take it down. That's just my philosophy. I just feel like get out there and do it because you have what you have. Those are the tools you have. Put them out there, you know? And if, if nothing comes back and no one likes it, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm really sorry. Maybe it's not your thing. Maybe there's something else you're supposed to be doing that's really you're really good at. But like, I don't know. I've had this conversation with I have two different friends. One that was on The Voice, and another guy that was had he made it pretty far on American Idol. And you know, he was they were both of them talked about how there was no post those shows. There really wasn't any success for them at all, even though they had prime time and they they didn't gain any like real success out of it because they'd never built an audience before they went on the show. They didn't take the risk that I'm talking about. Chris Sly. Chris is a friend too. I've actually done a lot of mixing for him, but he, Chris had a lot of success because of American Idol. Chris did really well because of American Idol. I mean, he was on tour buses playing in front of thousands of people pretty much instantly. Uh, Danny Goki too, like that dude, he's doing great. There's a dude in Grand Rapids. His first name is Jake. That's all I'm going to tell you, but he was a country artist. He was a drummer that sang. Some of you might've seen him. You know, he's doing country music his way now. But like, there just wasn't a lot of success because of American Idol. Um, my buddy Kevin Ferris, who's an incredible artist, you know, I don't know a ton, a ton, a ton about what's going on right now. He and I just had a conversation a few weeks ago. He wanted to get in here and record, and I didn't have any openings, and I kicking myself because I love him, but I just didn't have any, didn't have anywhere to put him in the schedule. And um, he's he just went and did a song with another friend of his, and um, it's really good. But you know, he was just on he was just on this past season of The Voice, and. Um, he he did a duet with uh, Jonas brother. Uh, is it Nick? Yeah, he's on. He was on Team Nick or whatever. So he was on like three episodes. And he ended up not making it to the final final, but like he just said there was no action after. He's like once the show was over, it was like no one cared. So it's just interesting, you know. Like that was a path he took. He loved it. He wouldn't trade it for anything. But like, I feel like if you do that and you're building an audience and you're putting discipline in and you're going to work every day, you're clocking in, you're you're investing in the business side of it, like what this podcast is about. You're going to have some success that way. You're going to build a foundation to support what you're doing, you know? So when the big opportunities do come, they can stand on it. So anyways, I'm sorry. I'm getting a little long-winded. <laughs> no, please. I, I really appreciate it. The less I have to talk on this podcast, the better. That's always been my, my philosophy. <laughs> As my wife would say, you know, you're kind of long-winded there. Yeah. That's who I am, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but as we just kind of wrap up this episode, any last advice you would give to an up-and-coming artist? Yeah, um, I guess imposter syndrome is a thing. Do you belong? Are you there? Should you do it? Should you put the time in? Are you going to be successful? I think the only way to really overcome it is to just do it. It's kind of like jumping in the deep end of the pool. 
but also do it in a way that's like, know who you are, try to know your values, try to know where you want to go, step into that and just do it. I, I have a lot of things that I would say I regret because I didn't trust who I was and didn't, I'm a person of faith. So for me, if I'm here, I'm supposed to be here for a reason. And like, regardless of what you believe or not, I still believe that about every person that's, that's on this earth. And so if this is part of that story, then you have to believe, you just got to do it. Whether you feel like you belong or not, doesn't matter. There are people waiting to hear what you have to say. So just go do it. Don't wait. Well, dude, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It was great talking with you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, dude. Super good surprise. Go ahead, uh, share what your studio's name is, how people can get in contact with you, all that. Yeah. So I have a website up for my recording company. It's called socialrecordingcompany.com is the website address. And I have a contact form on there. People can message me if they want. If you have any questions, just hit me up. I'm pretty good at getting back within a few days. If if you don't hear from me after four days, I might not have got the email. Usually I get them all. Yeah, just hit me up. That's socialrecordingcompany.com. And that's where all the info is to get in touch. So that's it for my conversation today with Jake Rye. A couple of quick favors before we head out today. First, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would you just give us a quick five-star review? Helps the show rank higher and then more people will be able to find this show on the charts. Also, if you're working on music and you want to know how to promote it, we'd love for you to sign up for our free half-hour workshop called Rock the Release. It's a half-hour crash course on how the heck do I actually plan and promote my new music. So we're going to teach you how to promote your music to playlists and blogs, get more press coverage so that you can start racking up more streams and lay the foundation for a successful career. Just go to evergreenrecords.com slash workshop to sign up for that. But for now, that's it. And we'll see you next week.